This is an exciting morning. We've packed it full of things to be excited about, and so I'm grateful that you're here. I'm grateful to both Mark and Mark for the report that we've just heard. So grateful for what God is doing. Um, very grateful for your thanks, and um, I, uh, I find myself feeling very much like um, Gideon, I think, in, in thinking that keep thinking that God has made a mistake by placing me in this place, in this position, keep saying, Lord, surely not me. That's not what you meant to do. Um, I just have to return the thanks and say, of all the pastors anywhere, I feel like I must have the easiest job because this family has been so incredible to us, to our family. So thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being a part of this family. We're just very, very grateful and feel very deeply loved by you, so thank you for that. This morning, we're continuing in our study of Acts, and um, <clears throat> as we continue, um, we're going to look at the story of two unique individuals this morning, one who knows Jesus and is being transformed into the likeness of Jesus and has completely surrendered himself to the Spirit and is being used by God in powerful ways, and another man who doesn't yet know Jesus, but he's looking He's seeking after God and he's looking for him. And the story that we're going to look at this morning, what we're going to see is how God uses one man to reach the other. And in the book of Acts, we've seen crowds of people hear the good news of Jesus. We've, hear, we've seen thousands of people come to faith in Jesus at one time. This morning, we're going to look at one man who's seeking after God. And we're going to see how God is pursuing him. And how God orchestrates events so that he can reach this one person who's looking for God and cannot find him. This morning, we're continuing the story of Acts chapter 8. And if you remember, last week we saw how the persecution of the church in Jerusalem was intended to silence the spread of the gospel. The persecution of the church in Jerusalem was intended to silence people from proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. And instead of quieting it, it just spread it all over the place. And we saw the good news go out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. Just like Jesus said, Jesus had commanded them to take the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and eventually to the end of the earth. Well, this morning we're going to see the end of the earth. We're going to see the good news of Jesus reach the end of the earth. And last week we talked about how this message, this good news of Jesus is being proclaimed by regular people. This is not just the ministry of Jesus. This is not just the ministry of the apostles who walked with him and were taught by him. Now just regular people are surrendering their lives to God and being used by him in a powerful way to reach people with the message of Jesus. First, we saw Stephen, Stephen who was filled with the Spirit, who was not only serving in the church, but boldly proclaiming the gospel, and he was killed for it. And Stephen's death was the trigger of this persecution of the church in Jerusalem that spread the gospel all over the place. And so we see Stephen's friend, Philip, who goes out to the Samaritans, the historical enemies of Israel, and he preaches the gospel to them, and we see them come to faith in Jesus Christ. And God is using Philip, and we're going to continue this morning in the story of Philip. So if you would just turn with me to Acts chapter 8, if you haven't done that already. And if you don't have a Bible this morning, we have them available for you in the baskets here on the aisle. You're welcome to get up and get one. If you want to raise your hand, we'll pass one down to you. If you just want to listen, you're welcome to listen. 
The important part is, what I'd like you to know is, whether you get one now or whether you get one later, those Bibles here are for you. If you don't have a copy of God's Word or you don't have this copy of God's Word, you're welcome to take that home with you as our gift to you. But this morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 8 and we're going to be starting in verse 26. This morning we're going to see some amazing things. God is going to do some amazing things and the amazing things are not only the supernatural things that God is going to do, and he's going to do a few doozies this morning in this chapter, but the amazing things are also how Philip responds to that. Philip's obedience and his faithfulness are almost shocking if you put yourself in his position and think, wait, Philip is a guy not unlike us, those of us here this morning. And just, I want you to consider as you look this morning at Philip's reaction and tell me that you're not amazed and maybe a little feeling like, hey, I'd like to be like that. I'd like to be a follower of Jesus that's like Philip. We said this morning is about two characters. The first one is Philip, and we're going to start there in verse 26 this morning. He's kind of the first character we're going to be introduced to here. Verse 26 says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Verse 27 says, And he rose and went. So the first kind of amazing thing is that an angel appears to Philip, and most of us have not had that experience. So an angel appears to him, and he gives him instructions. It's worth noting that he doesn't get a lot of specifics here. Look at what the angel actually says to him. He says, go south to a road near the desert. He doesn't give him really many specifics at all. He doesn't give him a specific destination, and he doesn't give him a reason He says, rise and go, and then it says Philip rose and went. That's amazing to me. Um, I feel like it's worth noting (laughs) that Philip doesn't ask a lot of questions. He just gets up and goes. The second character in our story is an Ethiopian man. Let's learn a little bit about him. We learn about him in this next verse 27. And there was an Ethiopian a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, at the, at the risk of sounding irreverent, this verse always sounds like the beginning of a joke to me. An Ethiopian, a eunuch, and a court official walk into a... No. Um, it's all the same guy. These are all descriptions of the same guy. And what do these descriptions tell us about him? Well, he's from Ethiopia. I don't know if you're up to date on your um, geography. Ethiopia in this time would be modern-day Sudan. So what we know as Sudan, which is Ethiopia adjacent, if if you know Africa at all. If you don't, like if you went to Egypt and went southish into Africa, you're going to hit Ethiopia or Sudan. So that's where he's from. In this day and age, that is the end of the earth. It would actually quite literally have been called the end of the earth. That's about as far away as you can get. So that's where he's from. He's a man of incredible status. He's the treasurer of the queen of Ethiopia. So this is a guy who has gone a long way in life. He has some significant cachet in Ethiopia. He's part of the queen's court. He's a wealthy man. We'll see that unpacked a little bit more as we go along in the story. And it says that he's a eunuch. Now, I'll be careful, but this is important to the story. This is important to where it's going. So it's important that we understand why Luke puts this in here. This is a guy who has been physically modified, either surgically or by force, so that he cannot have a family. 
This is not an uncommon thing for people in the courts of Asia or in Africa, especially in this time. And the, the reason is they can't be distracted by a family. They can't have a family. They can't be distracted by their family so they can pour all of their time and energy into work. That's the reason for it. But he has this physical modification that makes him unable to have a family, and that's going to come into play later in the story. It says he had come to Jerusalem to worship in verse 28, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So this guy comes from Sudan to Jerusalem. Now, I looked this up on Google Maps, and on um, Google, you can, have, you can um, put in walking directions, and I thought that would probably be more accurate than driving directions. So if you wanted to walk from Sudan to Jerusalem, it would take you about 514 hours. So if you were going to do that, um, even if you're going to walk a lot, 10 or 11 hours a day, it'd take you about a month and a half to go from Sudan to Jerusalem. If you're in a chariot, maybe you can cut that in half, maybe. Um, Google Maps would like you to caution you that um, some of this terrain is not suitable for walking. <clears throat> so if you're thinking about doing it, just know that. The reason I bring this up is this guy's made a significant commitment to go to Jerusalem to worship God. He's taken a month off just to get there, a month to get back, plus whatever time he's actually in Jerusalem to worship. And the sad part of this is he can't worship in the temple because he's a eunuch. If you look in Deuteronomy, he's prohibited from entering the temple because of his physical conditions, considered a, a deformity. He's not able to enter the temple to worship God. And that's kind of heartbreaking to me as I think of this, this man who's seeking God, wants to worship him, very likely converted to Judaism if he's going to all this trouble to go to Jerusalem to worship God. And he, he can't enter the temple to worship him. While he's there, he purchases a scroll of the book of Isaiah. This is another indicator of how wealthy he is. This would have set him back some serious money because you can't just pick up a copy of the Bible at Lifeway like you can today for 12 or 15 bucks. This would be a significant expense, a handwritten copy of the book of Isaiah that he's purchased. And he's on his way home and he's reading from the book of Isaiah. And I just want to point out as we think about this character and his story, here's a guy who has all this status and has accomplished all of these things in his life. And he's still, at least in this context, the ultimate outsider. Here's this dark-skinned African man in the middle of Jerusalem. Here's a man who desperately wants to worship God and has come to the temple to do it, and then he cannot. Here's a wealthy man who really can't get what he wants. What he wants with his wealth and with his status is a relationship with God, and it feels like that's at arm's length to him. And he's on his way home, and he's reading the book of Isaiah. And we're going to go back to Philip for a minute, verse 29. Remember, Philip's just wandering down a road because an angel told him to. Verse 29, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So initially, an angel tells Philip, I want you to just go in this general direction. And Philip's like, yeah, sure. So Philip goes. And then he gets there, and the spirit prompts Philip and say, says, that's the guy. I want you to go and talk to that guy in that chariot. Well, that chariot is moving, by the way. 
So Philip runs off to talk to the guy in the chariot, and the spirit and the angel don't need to do anything now because as Philip runs up alongside him, he hears him reading from the book of Isaiah. He's like, hey, do you know what you're reading? He's like, how, how can I? Unless someone would explain it to me. Now the passage of scripture that he's reading says in verse 32, now the passage of scripture he's reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. He's reading from Isaiah chapter 53, maybe the most Jesus-saturated chapter in the book of Isaiah. And as he's reading this, some guy starts running next to his chariot and says, Hey, do you know what you're reading? He's like, no. <laughs> do you? Come here. Come sit and explain this to me. The thing we have to remember is that we read Isaiah 53 and we know it's about Jesus. Isaiah was written 700 years before Jesus comes. Here's a guy who's, who lives in the Sudan. How does he know who Jesus is? So he's going to ask some questions about it. But in case you're not familiar with Isaiah 53, you haven't maybe read it recently, I'm going to read a little, just a few snippets of it to give you the context of this is what the Ethiopian man has been reading before this guy runs up alongside of him. So just listen to this. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. It goes on. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. It says he had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. And then toward the end of that, verse 12 of Isaiah 53 says, he bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. And the eunuch says to Philip as he's reading this, verse 34, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. I just want you to notice what's happening between these two guys. Two different people in the story, God sends Philip out on an errand for him, doesn't give him a lot of specifics, but he has an appointment for him with this man who's seeking him. A man from the end of the earth that really has no hope of encountering God, except for God. That God would orchestrate events to put these two men together in the same place at the same time. What are the odds? And if you're Philip, and you're running alongside the chariot, and you happen to hear him reading this, and then you get in and he said, who's he talking about? Who is Isaiah talking about? If you're Philip, you've got to kind of look up at heaven and think, man, God, you really served this one up for me. This is easy. And so it says, beginning with Isaiah 53, Philip tells him all about the good news of Jesus. Philip gets to be there with this man from Ethiopia. Philip gets to be the one that tells him about Jesus because of what God is doing in both of their lives and in both of their hearts. Verse 36 says, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Do you hear the Ethiopian's question here? 
Philip has told him the good news of Jesus, and the Ethiopian has obviously responded to it. He's excited to finally have an answer to what he's been looking for. And then they see some water, and he says, hey, what is to prevent me from being baptized? Why does he phrase it that way? What's on his heart that would phrase it that way? Well, here's a guy that just came all the way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship God and has been told, you can't worship here. What's to prevent me from becoming a follower of Jesus? Nothing. Nothing will prevent you from becoming a follower of Jesus. It's available to you. You're invited into God's family. God has sought you out and invited you in. And now you can be baptized. You can identify yourself as a follower of Jesus. And he's excited about that. And so Philip baptizes him. The ultimate outsider has been invited in to God's family through an act of God, a miraculous act of God to reach the end of the earth, to reach those that are seeking him because nobody is out of God's reach. Verse 39, here's where it gets a little weird. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. So Philip baptizes him, brings him out of the water, and Philip teleports away. (laughs) He disappears. Now, how many times in the book of Acts have we seen something and we're like, wow. I mean, Jesus talking to the disciples and just floats up into heaven. Whoa. We saw a guy who couldn't walk since he was born. He's now 40 years old. And Peter and John, in the name of Jesus, heal him. And he gets up and he's leaping around and praising God. And now this Ethiopian man has an encounter on a road with a guy who tells him about Jesus, baptizes him, and then gone. Now, if I'm the Ethiopian man, this has just confirmed my encounter with God. This was a God thing. God went out of his way to save me to tell me the good news. In fact, I'm pretty sure whoever that guy was was probably an angel. That's, I'm guessing, that's the story I would tell. And he's not that far off. This was a God appointment, a spirit-driven God appointment to rescue this man on this road at this time. And then God needs Philip somewhere else. There's another guy in the story, right? It's not just the Ethiopian man, but the Ethiopian man goes away rejoicing. Praise God, God made a way, I'm saved. Praise God, I'm part of his family. I was outside and now I'm in. I was lost, now I'm found. And how many of us in this room have that story to tell? Praise God, he made a way. I was outside and now I'm in. I was lost and now I'm found. Praise God. But there is another guy in the story and he just disappeared. Where did Philip go? Okay. Keep going with me. We're almost to the end here. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed through and preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So Philip vanishes. That's what the Ethiopian sees. Philip, meanwhile, finds himself about 20 miles away. It's pretty hard to pin down exactly where they were on the road, but we have a general idea about where they were based on the description. He's about 20 miles away from where he was just a minute ago. That's got to be a very bizarre experience for Philip. It says he finds himself there. And I don't know if Luke just doesn't add in the part where Philip kind of catches his breath and wonders what's going on. But Philip really doesn't seem to skip a beat. What does he do? Philip finds himself there and he's like, 
guess I better preach the gospel here. And he just starts preaching the word. This is what it looks like to be fully surrendered to the Spirit of God. I don't mean the transporting thing as much. It's just to say, God, wherever you put me, I'm just going to tell people about Jesus. And God says, go over there. All right. Tell that guy, yes, okay, I will. God says, wherever you find yourself, Philip, preach the good news. And he does. This is what the surrendered life looks like. And so we see the story of these two men. One goes away praising God because God found him and saved him. The story of the other man is just to say, God, wherever you put me, I will preach the good news. Wherever you put me, I will tell people about your son because that is what I'm about. And when you prompt, I will go. And when you say get up, I'll get up. And when you say go over there, I'll go over there. That's what my life is about. I'm completely surrendered to you. That's who I want to be. Those are the two men that we see in the story. And what we also see in the story is the lengths that God will go to to bring people into his family. Look at what God did to meet this man on the road. This man who I have to think is leaving Jerusalem feeling disappointed and feeling like, God, what do I have to do to have relationship with you to be with you? And God says, I know you're looking for me. Well, guess what? I'm looking for you too. I'm looking for you and I will pursue you and I will find you and I will invite you into my family. No one has to remain outside of God's family and no one that's genuinely seeking the Lord will be left outside of God's family. He will find them and he will bring them in. Some of you this morning are like Philip. You know the Lord. You know the word of God. You know the good news of Jesus. You're part of his family. And the question for those of us that are in that place this morning is, are we completely surrendered to the will of God? Are we like Philip where we're like, God, wherever you put me, I'm going to tell people about Jesus. Whatever you prompt me to do, Lord, I'm going to do that because I want to live my life surrendered to you so that you might use me in whatever vague instructions you want to give, whatever thing you want to ask me to do and not really tell me why. I'll do it because I want to participate in what you're doing. I want to have an encounter like this with someone. Would you use me to bring someone to you that I might be part of someone's story that they might say, I don't know what happened, but God just found me out and he saved me and invited me in. The other part of this question for those of us who are part of the family of God and are followers of him is, are you prepared to share the word with someone? Philip says, do you understand what you're reading as he's running alongside the chariot. And I keep picturing that. I just think, that's gotta be so bizarre for this guy. He is running along. Hey, do you know what you're reading? No. Why are you running next to me? I would ask the same question of us this morning. You pick up the word of God, do you understand what you're reading? If you sat down next to someone on an airplane and they're reading Isaiah 53, and they said, hey, can you tell me what this is about? What's your response? Um, no, or yeah, I can tell you what it's about. I know the word of God. Or is it, well, I know a guy. I could give you his number and you could call him up. First Peter 3 says, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have and to do it with gentleness and respect. As followers of Jesus Christ, we need to be people who are prepared to share the good news with anyone who would ask. And we need to live a life in such a way that people ask us, why do you have hope? What's different about you? 
can I have what you have? And then we would be able to share with them the word of God. This is why, as a church, we have life groups that are studying the multiply material together, discipleship material together. Say, here's what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Let's study that together. Let's find out. Let's study the Old Testament. Let's study the New Testament. We go through all of that together in a life group because it's important so that we would be prepared to make more people who follow Jesus and we'd be able to invite them into God's family and to teach them how to follow him. That's why we have Bible studies that are available to you at all at our Whittier Hills campus. It's why we have a free online Bible fluency course that you can take to say, I want to know the whole Bible no problem. It's free and it's on the internet. And you can learn the whole Bible, what the story of the whole Bible is telling, so that you'd be able to be prepared to tell people about the good news of Jesus. It's why we offer evangelism training as a church, so that you can be taught how to share the good news of people, the good news of Jesus with people that are asking, and not only taught to do it, but there are coaches there that will help you learn how to do it. It is our heartbeat as a church that we would proclaim the gospel wherever we go, that wherever we find ourselves, and we find ourselves in La Habra, that we would preach the good news of Jesus. As we conclude here this morning, I would just encourage you to take out that connection card that I pointed out to you at the beginning of the service. If you're here this morning and you're thinking, man, I want to I'm a follower of Jesus and I, I want some of those things. I, I need to get into a life group. I need to be discipled that way. I actually need to sign up. I need to be part of an evangelism training class. As scared as that makes me, I need to do that because I don't know how to share my faith. And if someone were to ask me, I don't know what I would tell them. I want to know more about that online thing, Bible course you told me about. Just put that on your connection card. I want to be involved. I want to know more about that. Would you tell me? Yes, we'll tell you. Would you pray for me? Yes, we'll pray for you. Some of you this morning are more like the Ethiopian man. And you're seeking God. You're like, I know it's real. I know it's legitimate. I just don't know enough. I don't know Jesus. I don't have a relationship with him. And I would just say, Jesus is inviting you to be a part of his family. And if you're genuinely seeking him, he, he is not going to stop pursuing you. And maybe this is your opportunity to be invited into the family of God, and we would love to have that conversation with you. There's a place for you on that connection card to indicate that as well. I want to be a follower of Jesus, or I want to know more about it. Please tell me more about it, and we would love to do that. Or come and talk to us afterward. We would love to share with you about who he is and what he's done so that like the Ethiopian man, you might go away rejoicing because you were once lost and now you've been found, you've been invited into God's family and you're a part of it with him. God's inviting you to be a part of his family and for those of you who are in his family, he's inviting you to participate in the work that he's doing. And we see the story of Philip and we see the story that God's telling through his unfolding life. We see the story of the Ethiopian man and we see the story that's unfolding in his life. The question is, what is the story of your life? What will your story be? Would you pray with me? Father God, we want to live a life that tells a story about you and we want to preach you and your good news wherever we go. Lord, would you allow us to be used by you 
And for those of us that are in this room this morning that may not know you, Lord, and you may be tugging at their heart this morning, I just pray, Lord, would you, would you prompt them to come and talk to us this morning or to write something on their card? Would you allow them to make this morning the morning that they accept an invitation to be a part of your family? We praise you for what you're doing. We thank you. In the name of your son, amen.